Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Improved weather conditions are helping firefighters in their battle against the Caldor Fire near Lake Tahoe. The blaze is now about 27% contained. What we have going on now is we've had a change in the pattern to much lighter winds across the fire. And we expect this lighter wind regime to remain in place Friday into Saturday and possibly even into Sunday. That's Cal Fire meteorologist Jim Dudley, but he warns that dry conditions are still an issue in the firefight. And officials say the Caldor Fire still threatens at least 32,000 homes and other structures. More than 600 homes have already been destroyed, and more than 300 square miles have been charred by the blaze. Thousands of people remained evacuated from their homes, including the entire city of South Lake Tahoe. Cal Fire's Dusty Martin says there's no word yet about when evacuation orders will be lifted. We are reevaluating those multiple times throughout every day, and it is our top priority to get the community members back into their community. The South Lake Tahoe Police Department says two men were arrested on Wednesday on suspicion of looting. Both men were discovered by deputies from the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office, one of several law enforcement agencies helping to patrol the area. Statewide, more than 15,000 firefighters are battling dozens of other blazes in California, including the Dixie Fire, about 65 miles north of the Caldor Blaze. That fire, now weeks old, is 55% contained, and it's destroyed nearly 700 homes. Like so many other fire-scarred areas, one year after wildfires devastated communities in the Santa Cruz Mountains, residents are still struggling. One problem? Strict county building codes that stop fire victims from rebuilding quickly. As KAZU's Jeremiah Edding reports, new rules could soon cut through the red tape. Watch your step. This got destroyed during debris removal, so it can be a little slippery on Antonia Bradford is showing me around her property near Boulder Creek. Charred redwood trees stretch into the sky, towering over the brick foundation where her home once stood. The trees survived last year's CZU fires and are providing much needed shade on this hot mid-August day. But Bradford's home was destroyed and a new home has yet to replace it. We're trying to make do and survive. A year after the CZU fires destroyed her home, Bradford still hasn't received the green light from Santa Cruz County to rebuild. And she's not alone. 911 homes were lost in the fires. And so far, the county has issued just 31 building permits for single-family homes. But a recent move by Santa Cruz County supervisors might expedite the process. They committed to relieving some of the pressure on fire survivors stuck in what, for many, is the biggest hurdle to rebuilding, the geology inspection. That slope right there that you see, which is completely inundated with trees. and is more Like many like properties in the Santa Cruz Mountains, Bradford's home was built on a historic debris flow. 
an area where fast-moving landslides occurred sometime in the past. That could have been hundreds, even thousands of years ago. But that means the debris flow could happen again in the future. The current county building codes require that she mitigate those hazards. Bradford's general contractor said it would cost her $25,000 to do so. Jeff Nolan, the county geologist, said for some other properties, mitigations could cost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Bradford says the rules need to change. She doesn't believe fire survivors should have to mitigate for hazards that already existed on the land before the fire. For many fire survivors already struggling to rebuild, the current requirements are prohibitively time-consuming and expensive. We're exhausted. I'm, I'm personally exhausted. I just wish that they would find ways to alleviate some of the stressors that are being put on us. And she's not the only one. At an emotionally charged county supervisor's meeting last week, Bradford and other fire survivors demanded the county ease up on the geology requirements. My kids want to go home. I want to go home. I lost everything. Please stop taking this from me. But we have hundreds of families in this situation, and we can get out of this geo hell with a bit of prudent leadership. Please consider to allow us to rebuild our homes without evaluating and mitigating these geological hazards. The Board of Supervisors unanimously agreed something needs to be done to help fire survivors. So now the county staff are working to adjust these requirements. Dave Reed is a senior analyst at OR3, the county's Office of Response, Recovery, and Resilience. We want to try and thread that difficult needle between life safety and property safety and their need to get back onto their property and into their homes. But threading the needle may be easier said than done. Jeff Nolan, the Santa Cruz County geologist, says changing the county code raises complex legal questions. And the codes were created to keep people safe. Relaxing them comes with a risk. If three years down the road, somebody's family gets washed down the San Lorenzo River, there's going to be some questions. Is why weren't these people re- required to develop a, a site safely? But there is an alternative in the works. Community scale mitigations. A comprehensive debris flow study is underway in the Santa Cruz Mountains that will identify major hazards across the landscape. The county could use that data to construct barriers and other mitigations that would protect entire neighborhoods from hazards, like debris flows. The community scale protections would add some peace of mind for residents who waive the geologic hazards requirement, an option Bradford hopes will be on the table in the near future. Okay, this feels positive, and it does, but I'm also like a little jaded at this point, you know? So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. The planning department and OR3 are expected to bring some options to the Board of Supervisors no later than September 14th. Until then, fire survivors will continue to wait, unsure of what will happen next. For the California Report, I'm Jeremiah Edding in Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. 
Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Tomorrow, some 2 million Californians will lose emergency federal unemployment benefits that were created to help them get through the pandemic. And as of now, the state has no plan to provide any meaningful extensions for the people losing out. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has the details. The benefits expiring are for people who've been on regular unemployment insurance for an extended period and also people who aren't normally eligible for regular unemployment like gig workers and people who are self-employed. People like Melissa Huerta. Huerta lives in Newman in Stanislaus County and runs an in-home nail business. She's still waiting for her state unemployment benefits, but even when the money arrives, she says she'll have to use it just to get back to where she started. I've already lost a lot of my clientele. I'm going to have to find a start from scratch, get another, you know, find another place to live, get everything back together. It's going to take a long time. The way the rules work now, Huerta can't apply for regular unemployment insurance. President Biden has said unemployment reform is a priority for his administration. Rebecca Dixon of the National Employment Law Project says unemployment insurance needs to change to include gig workers, the self-employed, and others who already often have less of a safety net. Workers like restaurant workers who sometimes don't earn enough to actually qualify for UI in the regular UI program, why is it okay for those folks to be excluded from the program when it's not a pandemic, right? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Many states ended these programs well before California did, hoping that losing the support would motivate more people to get back into the job market. But new research from the Economic Policy Institute in Washington, D.C., says states that did cut programs early had no change in labor force participation. They did have more workers struggling financially. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harbin. In related news, the state of California has started sending out its own $600 direct payments to Californians who earn up to $75,000 annually. That assistance is made possible by a nearly $80 billion state government surplus. In all, the state expects to distribute about $12 billion in stimulus payments. Now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report Magazine. This week, as wildfires rage in our state, there's a push to protect forests using prescribed burns and fire management techniques long used by Native Americans. KQED science reporter Danielle Venton will take us to Humboldt and Siskiyou counties and the Karuk people, but she joins us here first for a preview. Hey, Danielle. Hi, Saul. Hi. So how have Native people traditionally used fire in California? Native people traditionally set fire fairly frequently on their land. It was their primary tool for taking care of the land. Fire is also used in ceremonies, and it had the added benefit of preventing catastrophic fires. You've spent time speaking with uh, Karuk tribal members, especially along the Klamath River in far northern California. What are they trying to accomplish there? They are really trying to build long-term capacity in putting good fire on the ground. They're working to train the next generation of fire practitioners. They are trying to 
revitalize their traditional burning practices. And one thing that is a challenge is that they've been pushed off of their traditional homelands. 98% of their Aboriginal territory is administered by the Forest Service. So any big fire safety projects they want to do needs the agency's cooperation in order to be effective. Okay, now you just talked about, you used the phrase, a good fire. We aren't used to thinking about good fires now in California as wildfires burn so much of our state and lay waste to entire communities. So what does that mean? And what are kind of the, the, the protective quality of fires that the Karuk people are trying to promote? Yeah, there's really two sides to fires. Fire is a part of the California landscape. It always has been and it always will be. But the more we try to suppress fires, uh, the more we build the conditions for fires to come on its own terms and really be destructive. The Karuk are very focused on working with fire, having fire be a more integrated part of the landscape so that we can control it, work with it, and it can be less destructive. And just very briefly, have the Karuk and their posture and attitude toward fire and and preventing fires, has that ever run into conflict with state authorities or or federal authorities? Yes. In the past, Karuk, like many other Native people, were forcibly stopped from doing cultural burns. The United States government even advocated shooting Karuk people who lit intentional fires. That is obviously not the situation today, but the Karuk still are not able to practice fire in their traditional way or to light fire on the ground as much as they would like. They have to work with the Forest Service and the Forest Service has its own constraints that it must work under. And, you know, we're really at a time now when catastrophic fires are occurring in this area of the Klamath you know, there's a, there seems to be at least a major fire every year. Um, there is this increasing feeling that wildfire prevention is becoming just as much of an emergency as putting out intense wildfires. Sure, sure. All right. That is KQED's Danielle Benton. You can hear more of her reporting on this topic, a lot more on the California Report magazine this weekend. Find it on your local station or listen to its podcast or you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Saul. And that's the California Report for Friday, September 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin-Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great Labor Day weekend. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. 
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.